0: Welcome to this special live edition of the Seneca Podcast coming to you from the Princeton U.S.-China Global Governance Forum, a marvelous event put on by the Princeton U.S.-China Coalition. Terrific to be here for this podcast recording. You guys want to make a little noise? (laughs) That was that was so worthy. I'm, I'm totally flattered. Um, anyway, I am Kaiser Boy, and I am glad to say that the Cynic Podcast has now been running for eight years. Jeremy and I started it on April 1st, 2010, back when we were both living in Beijing. And here we are now in April 2018, him living in Nashville, Tennessee, me living in North Carolina, and doing this show for a living now when it just started off as a hobby and that is thanks to Sup China, which I needn't remind you, is the best way to stay on top of the latest news coming out of China in just a few minutes a day through our free email newsletter and, of course, on our website. We've got loads of great original writing, amazing photography, a growing stable of podcasts, and lots more. It's a feast of business, political, and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. Uh, as those of you who listen regularly to the show might remember, back in March of this year we had a show we recorded in New York with Sushi Tu and Eric Fish. We're talking about the Chinese student experience in the United States. This is a topic which I imagine is one near and dear to many of your hearts. Uh, uh, We talked about the pressures that they are under, the social and academic, and increasingly the political pressures as allegations of Chinese influence operations and all sorts of incidents involving politics become more frequent. So you can think of this as sort of part two of that episode, Our guests on that previous episode study the situation, but today we are very fortunate to have with us somebody who has legit lived it, experienced life here in the U.S., Uh, as both a high school student and a college student. Indeed, indeed, he even served as president during his senior year at USC of the Chinese Students and Scholars Association, an organization that has come under quite a bit of scrutiny for its alleged ties to Chinese consulates and embassies. So he's won many, many awards, mainly for being super young and unreasonably successful. Uh, Bloomberg Business Week, 25 under 20. Forbes, 30 under 30 award. I think we keep going numerically by fives, but... I'm not going to, because that would just make me feel shitty, and, you know, please, everyone, welcome Gao Yutong, Tony Gao, founder and CEO of the company Easy Transfer. So, some of you here today were able to hear Tony speak earlier about his experience as an entrepreneur. Uh, yes, at the tender age of 23, you're only 23, right? Oh yeah. my God, dude. Uh, he's already a serial entrepreneur, but we're not really going to focus so much on that, but rather about his time studying in the U.S., and because he's a problem solver by nature, we're, we're also going to get his perspectives on some of the many issues that now confront Chinese students in the U.S., and you know, issues that are confronting the educational institutions that those students attend. So. Gao Yutong, let's start with some basic facts about you. So tell us, where were you born and, and where you spent your childhood uh, before you went to the U.S. at the age of 16?
1: Yes, so actually I was born in Beijing, uh, raised up there for 15 years. And uh, I'm like the typical Chinese student, uh, raised up by the grandparents. And uh, actually my life is kind of different, not that typical though. So my life, I went to the boarding kindergarten since I was three years old and after that, all the way in the boarding school until 15 years old. Then when I was 15, I started to search for the schools and eventually I found the boarding schools in Nebraska, Omaha. And then eventually like, I actually transferred there as a sophomore student and start my journey from there though, with all the cornfields and like, all boy schools. My experience is really unique, but really loved it, yeah.
0: You, you didn't have the easiest time when you were in junior high, as I understand it, when you were getting ready for the Jung kao, for the high school exam. Uh, you were telling me earlier as we were walking around campus about some of the, the experiences you had nearly being expelled and all that stuff. So tell me, what, what was life like for you then?
1: Yeah, so my, since my uh, kindergarten and the primary school, like, it's all uh, boarding, so that school is, like, they do not focus that much on academic. So they want to actually prepare you in all the things, all the fields, instead of like the traditional Chinese schools, focusing, like let you focus on studying all the time. So my school, they don't have like all the like uh, preparatory, like program for all the math class, and uh, it actually came to me like really hard when, it, when I started to prepare for middle school since all the middle school, the great middle school in China, they required the examinations before you enter the, uh, enter the school. And that's really selective. So I actually like uh, to get into that middle school, I spent a lot of time preparing for a test, doing like thousands of questions repetitively. And eventually, luckily, I was involved in that school. But the thing is that once I get into that school, I realize that all the friends around me, they're really, really strong. And in other words, like kind of aggressive. They want to get the best score. And uh, like they try to compete with each other. And since I was not that kind of student, I am not that in academic wise, like I'm not that strong. So like I was like under huge pressure, which lead to me like uh, the like uh, one solution to stand out among the students is like uh, always to prank in the class. So what I do is like I did a lot of different stuff in the class. Every time when the teacher says something, I always have like other things came up. And uh, eventually, like when I was in the eighth grade, eighth grade uh, the teachers, the class like uh, not the teachers only, but like more like the directors of the school, uh-huh. she was dreaming about I was like uh, just taking the walls of the school down. And she was worried <laughs> about that so much. So in the next morning, she asked my parents to actually take me to the hospital to see whether I have some kind of like a disease or not. So otherwise, like... Based on a dream. Yeah, based on the dream. Okay. And that's I think crazy. maybe she's but, the one who needs psychiatric care. But. <laughs> but eventually, I was lucky enough. I did not have like any like, a, like kind of like illness or disease. So I was able to survive in that school, keep my spot, not get like expelled, but... Like eventually, like my parents think, uh, I really need like the other environment to let me enjoy studying and learn what I want. That's really important, though.
0: So you uh, decided pretty early on, then, or rather, your parents decided pretty early on that you weren't going to attend university or even high school in the United States or in, in China. That they would send you to the U.S. instead. So already you were sort of off that gulch track, right? Yeah. OK, interesting. How much of a say did you have in choosing the school that you ended up attending? You ended up attending, if you weren't here this morning, a boys Catholic school, uh, boarding school, in Lincoln, Nebraska, in this place surrounded by cornfields and more cornfields. So what I mean did you this was clearly not your choice. I'm, I'm imagining. I mean, what red-blooded 15-year-old boy chooses that dire fate for himself? <laughs> I mean, like, my
1: parents, although they're really strict, but they can open, though. They talk to me, like, gradually. So, like, they let me know there's a great school, like, know the rankings, know the, all the facilities, all the sports, like, all the teams. And I think the life there it should be, like, really interesting, besides they don't have girls. So, for me, like, my parents spent, like, three months trying to persuade me to go to that boarding school, and eventually, I just take the offer. I was like, if I can really work hard for three years, I could get into the dream college, and then that could possibly change my life. So I really like end up like being in Omaha, Nebraska, like, uh, with all the cornfields all the time.
0: But eventually, I, that place really changed me, changed my life. Yeah. What were some of the reasons that they, they wanted you to go to this particular school? I mean, I'm sure they had their reasons for, for choosing it.
1: Yes, so in China, a lot of parents, uh, if they want to send their kids uh, to study abroad, they are kind of worried about the school's uh, dynamic or the environment. Because nowadays, every single year, we have around 400,000 Chinese students coming to different uh, countries to study abroad. In the U.S., the number is about 150,000 students upcoming every single year. So all the parents are worried that even though they send their kids to study abroad, The problem is that all the Chinese kids will get together and they will talk to each other in chinese yep. like never like learn american culture eat chinese food all the time and eventually like they will get back to china after they graduate so my parents like they don't want me to become the typical like chinese international students here and they want me to really learn american culture so that's why they sent me to midwest which like that place has no chinese before in my high school i was the first one in the school's history and eventually i learned some american culture but like, still, like, I'm more like the banana. Like, although, like, I was born in China, but, like, I tried to learn the American culture, but it's still hard for me, yeah.
0: So that's interesting that you at least tried to learn American culture. I mean, I have a daughter uh, who's 14 now. She was 12 when we moved to the States. And in this whole time, she has been completely immune to, to the seductions of American popular culture, whether television or, or, or uh, literature or music even instead she's completely wrapped up in East Asian culture it's Japanese manga and anime it's uh you know Chinese silly television shows and and sitcoms and whatnot and uh of all things K-pop <laughs> that I can understand i mean that's that's some pretty great stuff now well, k-pop is great now uh you know my son though he's he came over when he was 10, and the moment he stepped off the plane, he started speaking a language I've come to call U2Bs, which uh, is just basically strung-together internet memes. I mean, it's, it seems like that's how he knows to speak. You know, he's an aficionado of hip-hop and knows everything that's happening in, in, in American popular culture up and down. You know, watches all these shows, and it's so weird, the contrast between them. Where do you fit in in this spectrum? I mean, were you immune? Were you pining after Chinese culture? What, what happened to you when you came
1: Yes, actually, I was kind of the hybrid type. So uh, I love the food, like, uh, and uh, I love the movies. I love like, all the like, superhero movies, The Marvels. Like, I watch that all the time. And uh, eventually, like, when I get here, I really want to get involved into the groups. So I try to like, uh, get friends like, uh, from the American society. Like, uh, I talk to my classmates all the time. And during the weekend, if they want to invite me to their houses, I will try my best to make it. But the problem is like problem arise when it came to the deeper level. Once we were like friends for like a month or two months, like they start to get the conversation much deeper. Like the conversation involves with all the like cartoons such as SpongeBob. I never watched it before. And you also never the watched history. SpongeBob? Never though. Like right. I, I don't even know that. Though. In in China we watch watch what? Like It's the, called Hai Mian Bao Bao. Yeah, Hai yeah. Mian Bao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I n- I never watched that before and uh, always the conversation end up there. So I was kind of embarrassed all the time. And although I try really hard, but the reality is that because the environment you grow up with, they don't have that. So if you really, really want to catch up with that, you, like get involved, you really have to catch up with all the like, information they have when they're in the childhood. That's really, really hard. And it takes years for you to complete. So
0: how did that how did that impact you? I mean, you were you're obviously not an introverted person. You're yeah. you're quite an extrovert, uh, and you made the effort, right? You made the effort to connect with these these guys. But uh, we, we were talking earlier, and you were talking about how you would be sort of know really what's the right word ganga just awkward yeah. i mean do these moments where you couldn't continue a conversation because you didn't have the context or you didn't have the background how how did you deal with this i mean was did you experience that same same sort of alienation and loneliness that a lot of chinese students have described on coming here or actually yeah kind of after the
1: second year like uh, we actually like all uh, my f- i feel like one thing really like uh, puzzled me cuz uh, when it comes to the prom time, the homecoming time, uh. like uh, before, like three weeks before prayer, all my friends will gather in some like house parties and they will invite me to their houses. And I feel like kind of embarrassed because all the time, like when uh, I w- try to approach a girl and like I found the conversation end really quickly though, and there's like no way for me to, to just get involved. So after that, I even like think about just stop trying that hard. To get involved, or even like I try to like uh, just get friends with the Korean students, Japanese students, at least we have a lot of things in common, then that's easier to, to get along with. So that's the, the reality though, and I, I mean like although I, we, all the Chinese students I believe they all try really hard to try to get, get, get involved, but some problems or issues with the culture just listed down there, it just exists, and no one can change that. Though.
0: But I have to say, I mean, you, there were clearly some advantages that were conferred on you by the fact that you yeah. went to a school with no other Chinese kids, right? Yeah. You know, talk about that. I mean, your, your English, your command of English, for example, right? I mean, it's, it's much better than a lot of, you know, boys, at least especially, who come to China uh, from China and spend only a few years here.
1: Yes, I mean, I can have to practice the English because, like, I'm really a talkative person. No one can stop me, like, for talking. And uh, in that environment, I try to, like talk to friends all the time. And uh, the best part of being in the Midwest is that people are really friendly. They try to like yeah. uh, help you all the time. And uh, I still feel lucky to actually get involved into that high school. Cause I mean, like if I go to the Eastern coast, no one probably will talk to me though. And I'm become the lonely boy. <laughs> and uh, oh. like, I probably will get involved like uh, along with all the Chinese students together, like become the typical like students.
0: Yeah. I see a lot of people in the audience looking at each other knowingly, so I'm taking that as an affirmation of the universality of this experience. Uh, What's interesting to me is that your father was actually a visiting scholar here in the U.S. at a time when a very different kind of student came to the U.S. from China. China had very different economic circumstances, and... Of course, very different political circumstances now prevailed both in the U.S. and in China. Uh, Then you went on to USC, which I think stands for the University of Spoiled Children. uh, A lot of Chinese here. And, and uh, did an undergraduate business degree at the Marshall School there. And that's kind of a departure, too, because, you know, back then, nobody did an undergraduate business degree if you came or Nobody came for an undergraduate degree, in fact. Uh, you know, so something that, you know, your, your father's generation, uh, which I think is really my generation also, they, they had a very different experience here in, in the U.S. Could you contrast the experience of you and, and your father in the U.S.? I mean, I know that's a huge question, but I mean, what, what do you think are some of the most salient, the biggest contrasts? I mean, at that period, because a lot
1: of Chinese students, they study abroad, At my dad's like a generation, they came out because uh, they were sponsored by the government, right. or like, uh, they just study really, really great, and they want to become the top uh, like, uh, researchers, or like, uh, just maybe like, become the professors after they, they got the degrees, they went back to China to help the others. And so at that time, they really don't have the choice to make decisions on their degree or like their future. So they come here on the on the others, like people's will, and they don't learn what they want to learn. they just learn that for for the for the community, but for our generation, I feel like a lot of parents they are right now really open minded they want their kids to learn like whatever they like or they, whatever they want to do like in the future for their whole life so I mean like right now, if you see the the generations is like the, the idea like the 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 thought is totally different in the past, like they just want to do the things that is like really prospecting in the future, have a lot of potentials, a lot of possibilities or opportunities in the future. Then they choose this major and then like no matter how they like it or not, they just stick with it and spend four hard years and eventually go back to China. Or like stay try try hard to stay here. But for right now for our generation like we actually become the students who can actually pick our ma- major as long as it's not the social
0: sciences or humanities right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah but like i see like uh, right now the students are really have much more opportunity to really learn what they want and i'm really glad that we're born in this generation
0: yeah i'm i'm absolutely glad of that too i think that it's fair to say that one of the the differences between your father's experience and yours uh well no i mean the 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 reason uh is China's rise. I mean, in the course of literally just this one generation, things have changed so profoundly in the number of Chinese students that have come. You were, you were saying 150,000 new students every year. I think there's something like 350,000 at any one time studying in, in recent years uh, in the relative position of these students. in the kinds of students that come, the personalities of the people who tend to come, the opportunities that they have in front of them here—you uh, are obviously not typical of your generation, but I think you are in a position because of the work that you do, because you know you you, you deal with them so often, uh, and because of you know the positions that you've held uh, to comment on. let I mean, make some generalizations about the students who have come. In more recent years. So I have a bunch of things that I want you to, to, to comment on about this generation and how different it is from previous generations. So let's start with this academic preparedness. Do they come as ready to absorb, you know, the, 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 the full riches of a four year American education as uh, people did in, in the past?
1: Well, I've, I feel right now they're they're much prepared compared to more the past. prepared, more prepared. Sorry, okay. yeah, and uh, like uh, especially when the students like before they enter into the U.S., like the education, like the test system actually helped them to like uh, get better prepared. Okay. They have the TOEFL and SAT exam, but that's the system. But besides that, like they really like try to learn the American culture before they enter into the U.S. Right. So we were mentioned about the apprentice, the, the shows. No, not
0: The Apprentice. Guy. Yeah,
1: and, I mean like uh, we, we were talking about the, the presidencies in, in the U.S. and uh, we were questioning that why the Chinese students they don't talk about uh, the government in the U.S. that much. And uh, one topic I brought up like really interesting is that when we learned English in the education agencies in China like the teachers actually asked us to watch the movies or watch the shows. Some of the shows recommended are Friends, is one of the show and the apprentice is the other. So a lot of the Chinese students, they know Donald Trump, not because he's the president, but they kind of like admire him since he's a successful businessman. And that actually leads to the favor towards him. And so, I mean like, but like, uh, in this way, like, the, the Chinese kids, they definitely, like, know more about American society. Like, although, like, it might be, like, it goes to a certain direction, but, like, compared to 20 or 30 years ago, they definitely, like,
0: get more prepared compared to the past. Well, why couldn't it have been the Sopranos and Seinfeld? I don't understand. <laughs> Damn. I missed out on an opportunity. What about in their ability to assimilate or to interact with uh, with non-Chinese students? How do you feel are they're, they're, they are in that way? Are they um, more... I mean, I think... I feel like there's... Things that are pulling them in both directions. On the one hand, they are more open personalities who have been exposed to more Western culture. On the other hand, there's just so damn many Chinese students now that they can, they can. I mean, it's like expatriates when they go, you know, to, to study in China, uh, they end up hanging out together and not learning any damn Chinese except for <laughs> and and Mei <laughs> and Han Ma Fan. I mean, it's it's just. I mean,
1: like uh, nowadays, like I see a really interesting fact. That although a lot of Chinese students once they get here they gather together, but one thing really stand out is that I feel nearly all of the Chinese students once a while they want to join an American fraternity, and that is really interesting though. That
0: on top of the apprentice, it's just they've they've ruined them (laughs)
1: already. But the thing is that they, to be able to join in the fraternity, they have to really go to the networking like events, like uh, for at least three or four times within one week. So they actually try like try really hard to get involved with the society. And from there, we can tell that they're much like much more open, like compared to the past like generation.
0: You know, they're they're walking down the wrong path, though, right? I mean, uh, they have to understand that. I mean, what about in their interest level in the American political landscape? We talked about, you know, maybe they're, they're not so engaged, but certainly more than before. It would it was like pulling teeth, I remember, back when I was uh, in graduate school and I'd meet these other... They weren't interested in, in, in civics at all. They weren't really interested in the mechanics of the American political system. They weren't interested in the, the politics or the personalities or the issues or, you know, what it was that we were discussing. Now, what about now? I mean, for politics, I mean, like... Students,
1: they, interesting fact, during the elections uh, last year, uh-huh. as I was in the USC, we went to the like uh, our like uh, a broadcast uh, a building, and uh, all three levels was filled with all the people watching the election together. And from there, we, I personally, I saw a lot of Chinese students are there. And uh, although they are, half of them are supporting Donald Trump, but like uh, they're all like, they're kind of energetic. I feel like right now they read more news about the, the, the government and the po- politics and uh, eventually I feel like uh, in the future the trend of them will get more involved and more care about the uh, the relations between the two countries. Especially right now, a lot of questions or like, a lot of issues are happening really uh, threaten their futures for studying or like staying in the
0: U.S. Right. Maybe they'll finally understand. <laughs> yeah interesting. What about the basic personality? I mean there are levels of say introversion versus extroversion, whether they 're as risk averse as they used to be, maybe whether they 're more risk takers than they are um, than they were were back then their um, and their ambition their confidence maybe their their sense of optimism or, or pessimism. How would you describe the sort of personalities? I know there's of course a huge range, but yes the center of gravity has shifted right
1: I feel like uh, overall the trend is becoming like a more opened, uh, happier, more optimistic. And uh, the best part is that uh, they're being more like the risk takers. So one thing can really tell, like in the past, if the students really have the idea, they want to go out to a startup, students bar- from China barely take the gap here. But right now, like, uh, they start to take the gap here. That's really a big move. And besides that, like, uh, a lot of schools, they do have the program supporting the international students. This makes the students become like, really bold about choosing their future career path. So like, for example, for my school, they even, for USC, they even have the career like, uh, fair for Chinese students only. Oh, wow, that's yeah. interesting. Okay. So like, we could tell like, uh, a lot of Chinese students, like, they are more involved with the campus, and uh, from there, they get like, a, a lot of confidence, and eventually, like, they just get along better with the society, and eventually, they have more opportunity, they become more optimistic, and I feel like this generation really could tie these two countries together with more like opportunity or like um, just
0: chances, though. Yeah. Interesting. We, we hear a lot about how political attitudes uh, toward their own home country, toward China, how those... Change or or maybe are reinforced sometimes uh, when the, among these this newer generation the people your age the post nineties who who come here what, what what do they how are their attitudes and and maybe even talk about your own your own feelings about uh, about your zuguo when you came here yeah and how that changed
1: yeah so uh, before I actually came to US I although like remember Monday, in the school, we signed uh, the national like, uh, rhythm like uh, every single morning, like with the, the, the event, raised uh, the like, flag all the time sure. Yeah, in the school. Like, uh, but the thing is that once I actually start to uh, study abroad, the first time I feel like I'm, I was like, really, really proud of being the Chinese students. Because in my high school, I was the first one, and the rest of the international students, we have only 30 international students, 28 are Korean students. <laughs> and one uh, from Rwanda so at that time interestingly the Korean students they know that I won't get along with the American students for a long time so after the second month, they try to reach me they were like Tony do you want to join us to play together if you committed your Korean students I was like no and then like uh, I was like holding the flag on my dorm so every single morning when I wake up the first thing I ever see is the flag Oh my God! (laughs) So you suddenly you have the 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 national like pride, and you just I mean like over in that environment, you just want your country to become stronger, or like you want to do something eventually for the country.
0: Do you find this experience replicated in a lot of other people? Do you find that same thing happening to a lot of other people? They were all like draping themselves in the flag and uh, maybe in Midwest, yeah. But like I don't know, (laughs) like
1: yeah. But eventually, I feel like all the Chinese students once they study abroad, they Have uh, stronger relations with with the with the country. Yeah, that seems to
0: to prove out in in, I mean, you've seen the polling that that's been done on this topic. I guess suppose that's that's uh, that's inevitable, and I think that happens to a lot of people when they go abroad, uh, irrespective of where they where it is that they came from. Anyway, uh, there are lots of problems I think that that we are aware that Chinese students face, and I'm curious about your perspectives on some of these and how the students themselves could better prepare for. Confronting these issues and how the institutions where they enroll could address some of these issues, maybe head off some of these issues, anticipate the issues that start. And let's start with one really obvious one, which is racism and prejudice yes. that they encounter. So maybe tell us about your own experiences coming to the United States. Still, you know, as a fifteen-year-old, just barely post-pubescent boy, uh, what? What it was like? Did you experience uh, over racism? These were yeah, nice corn-fed Midwestern boys, but uh, yeah, I, well,
1: like at the beginning, I feel because that place they don't have not only the school but the the small town like named Elkhorn for our school like uh, for for that town like uh, nearly like the people in that town they, they, they barely see Chinese before never probably in their whole life. So at the beginning, they, some of my friends. Like even in the same class, they feel like uh, you're the weirdo kinda, but like uh, after you get along with them like uh, they're okay with that they're're they're, they're kinda maybe it's from midwest the they're like really friendly though right. but yeah. but like uh, i I do feel kinda like uh, the bias like towards the society like I do feel that, but i mean it depends on you like your perspective if you really want to get along with them, you have to understand them like what they thought, and then like you try to. Become like more understandable, and after that, eventually one day they will realize that. Though, yeah, yeah
0: I mean that, that's good. But did did you have? I mean, so many Chinese students report having, you know, Americans come and is it true you guys eat dog? Uh, and then they you know, they'll ask you, then hold you sort of personally responsible for oppression in Tibet, or hold you personally responsible for this? Did you did you encounter this sort of thing, or you know, are you a communist? That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I mean, like uh, a lot
1: of uh, my American friends ask me these kind of questions. First, of the most like uh, popular questions is, "Do you eat dogs?" The second one is, "Do you know kung fu?" And uh, the third one is, "Is Panda Express really the Chinese food?" So I mean, like there's a lot of like misunderstandings from the questions you can tell. There's a lot of misunderstandings between the two cultures, but. You wear a t shirt that says no, yes, no, 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 yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably can prepare one. But these questions, you can tell, is like a kind of cute. Since it's not like the questions that really separate you with each other, but you can tell it's the misunderstanding. But how you can tell the truth is a really hard topic. You have to stand in on their perspective, tell them exactly what happened. And that is hard. Really, really hard. So, like, I mean, like, we definitely, like, when we came here, a lot of Chinese students, they tried it, and they tried it really, really hard to make the other students feel like that's, they're kind of aggressive. But if you're standing on their, like, standpoint, they just try to solve the misunderstandings. So how do you mean,
0: like, they would be really assertive about their Chineseness, or?
1: I mean, like, uh, if you take the the questions for, like, for example, like, the Tibet questions Uh or, like, the Taiwan questions. Right. I mean, like, they definitely have different perspectives, though, like, between the two groups, between right. the Chinese students and American students. And for American students, they have this value, like, uh, build it really rooted from their, like, uh, probably middle school history class, sure. high school class. So, like, it's been, like, six years for them. It, you cannot just persuade them with, like, one night, within one night. That's impossible, though, that all the cultures are deeply rooted since, the, like, uh, six years ago, probably, when they, like, uh, just take the history class. And for the Chinese students, same. So, like, they actually learned from the primary school, even, for how, whole, like, whole like, how China developed all the history side. So when these two cultures, like, can conflict together, like, either side, they have, like, a really strong will to pursue the other side. But the problem is that for American students, they're more, like, open. So once the conversation starts, they will never argue that much. But for the Chinese students, when they think the issues, like we hold the standpoint is definitely correct. We want to speak out, but we don't know which way we have to go.
0: Right, Which leads me to my next question, which is about their own political commitments. Uh, you've talked about your own re-embrace of the flag-raising ceremony. And, 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 uh, what, what about, you know, you've heard for instance about this woman named Yang Shuping, who was at the University of Maryland and gave a, a, commemor- a graduation address. Where she talked about uh, the the joy she felt at being able to breathe the clean air and to breathe the free air, you know, the the the, the atmosphere uh, of of political liberty, and you know, while that went down very well with with some American students, of course, it really pissed off a lot of Chinese students, and uh, I'm I'm sure that's something you remember. And there, you know, there have been other incidents like that. For example, at Duke University, where I where I uh, near where I now live, uh, in 2008, at Right after there, were, you know, there was this conflagration in Tibet in March of two thousand eight, and, and thereafter, with, with the Olympic torch relay approaching, there were a lot of pro-Tibet protests on a lot of campuses around around the country, and it was one at Duke that happened to be you know met by a counter protest of Chinese students. This young woman named Grace Wong walks out into the midst of this thing, decides that sort of in an act of, of trying to make peace, signs something that the the. Uh, Tibet, the pro-tibet faction was was asking her to sign and she caught all sorts of, of yeah. flack for that I mean this is this is something that I I wonder what the, the correct solution is I mean how do we how I mean it really boils down to how do we uh, deal with people who come from decidedly non plural societies do we expect them to assimilate to the pluralistic values of our society to understand you know, the right to expression, or do we try to be deferential and, and, and under, maybe bow to, to their sensibilities and sensitivities?
1: I mean, like, uh, for speaking of the Tibet and also the, like, uh, the, the case happened in uh, Duke, like, uh, if you think about this, so if American students, they studied or exchanged in China, and one of the Chinese students has a flag, same California, should be the independent country, or Texas should be an independent country. The American students will argue with them. No, but they, they wouldn't.
0: They would probably just laugh. Yeah. Their, <laughs> I don't think that they would get that wrapped up about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, like, uh, if you really think about this, like, uh, uh, that's the difference, really the difference in the culture, though.
0: So, well, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It is mm-hmm. a very big difference in the culture, but how should institutions mm-hmm. prepare students for that? How, yes. What sorts of expectations should they set? And how, I mean, maybe how should... Institutions in China who who are assisting in sending students to study abroad prepare their students for this. So, uh, I mean, like, because in the U.S., if
1: you have the questions, a lot, like most of the students will raise the questions up. They will directly ask the questions. But in China, like, people tend to hold the questions for a while, and then they collect the questions, and then they go really really wild. So the problem is that like, just. The culture difference makes them like, uh, they, although they're in a different country, but the, the way they're doing things are the same. So if they really have the questions, we have to tell them. They have to raise the questions up. They have to directly talk about these questions. And I talked to a lot of, like, uh, schools' administrators, all the departments, especially the Office of International Students. They were like, we never see the Chinese faces for raising up the questions like for raising up the issues. If they come to the office, talk to us directly, we will have a solution. But like, like for the most time, when they have the questions or like issues, they will just hold the issues. And eventually people will group together to just like boycott or like do, do the things. And then blow up, right? Yeah, blow up. And when the things blow up, that is really, really serious.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and I think they need to understand how it shapes impressions of Chinese students and how yeah. it has a, a very strongly negative effect. Uh, so, what do you think the educational institutions here should be doing, maybe to better uh, prepare Chinese students for for the experiences that they're bound to have in American classrooms, especially yeah. if they're studying, yeah. you know, uh, history or geography or or uh, places, things, things where issues about Taiwan or Tibet yeah. or Tiananmen are going to come up.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, the campus right now, like uh, a lot of schools, they have the, the program like, uh, for like, uh, taking the new student, upcoming students. They have the orientations. Over the orientation events, they could tell that they're trying hard to embrace the diversity culture. And once they're reaching to that step, they, they could have like, some questions laced up, like the sensitive one, yeah. and discuss up front. So like, I mean, like all the students reach to that step is not because they don't know the result. They definitely know the result. They definitely don't want to boycott. They they definitely don't want to create a chaotic like for the chaos, like for the school. But the problem is that before they enter here, no one told them what they have to do, what they should do, Hmm. or what's the, 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 the environment like.
0: So you were the president of the CSSA, the Chinese Students and Scholars Association, during your senior year at USC. What, did you, was this something that you ever encountered, were these issues that you had to sometimes deal with? Yeah, like
1: for, for us, like uh, uh, for career, like uh, career-wise, that's one of the most issues. Because a lot of companies in the U.S., they don't, take, uh, they don't have the visas offered for right. international students. So a lot of students are complying about the, 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 the unfair trade, trade. So we have to talk to the like a career service office to to solve this issue. But at the beginning, the school, although they try hard, but the employees, like the, the, the companies, they really don't have the wheels to hire the international students. Then like the school are actually compromising too. So they try to group us together to hold the career fair for international students only. I mean, like, for the, both of the two sides, I see like uh, these two groups are trying hard to reach to the same step, same level. But like it takes years for them to complete this journey. Though.
0: Yeah, but it is at least encouraging that they're both trying to do this. They're right?
1: trying hard. I can tell they're trying hard from yeah. from both sides. Yeah. Right, right.
0: But you know, there's the other issues that are uh, that surround the CSSAs right now. Yeah. There are all sorts of allegations that uh, they are, for example, reporting the names of disloyal or insufficiently patriotic Chinese students to uh, tell us about your experience there at, at the CSSA. I know, I know you're not uh, sort of, you know, deputized to speak for on behalf of all CSSAs, <laughs> but about your own your own experiences. Did you did you have any overtly political issues that you had to deal with?
1: Not really. though. for us, like uh,
0: at UC, uh, USC, right? USC,
1: yeah. Our organization has uh, more than two hundred people, two hundred okay. members in our group, and. Uh, when I ever think about CSSA, I feel that's more like just a student organization. That, that is a student organization. Sure. So actually, it is my best memory of the college. So I have meet a lot of friends there, all the Chinese friends. Right. They meet in the organization. So it's more like the fraternity, but like in the large, like really large scale. We have like 200 students instead of like uh, probably 20 or 40 people. And also like for our, like we only want to like, the only thing we want to do in CSSA is like just offer the service or helps for the other students. Uh-huh. That's it. Like, for example, like... And, uh, and
0: throw a big party for Chinese New Year.
1: Yeah. For Chinese New Year. <laughs> and I mean like, because uh, I was here for nine years and I know how hard it is for yeah. them to stay here alone though during the spring festival, especially when their parents making the dumplings, sending them the pictures through WeChat. And then like they will start cr- to crying though and uh, missing the home so much. So like, as the president, I really want the students, like, to feel this environment is, like, in their hometown. So every single year we us, through the huge, like, parties, not the party, but the shows for spring, like, a gala, and also we make the dumplings together. Ah. Yeah, so, like, it's more like a small home, but, like, it's literally the, it is the, the, the student organization. It's really free, it's just, like, a a clean place, yeah.
0: And and were you ever given funding for for any activities by the the Chinese consulate in LA or by the embassy in, in DC? Yeah,
1: and, and I mean like not from the DC, but like uh, uh, for our side, uh, like uh, it is not the direct funding. It, they actually paid the, uh, the the what's that the theater. Uh-huh. So, like, because uh, every single year, like, for us, like, the scenario is... Uh,
0: I mean, so like the theater where you would hold an event. So they would pay for the rental of a hall, and then you would have your event there or something. Uh, like
1: yeah, not the whole rental, but, like, a, a partial of uh, okay. it. So, like, so the things actually goes in this way. So uh, every single year, we will have a spring uh, gala for hold by one of the schools in the Southern California area near the Los Angeles. And uh, we have 35 schools down there. And so each student organization, we just like rolling. It's more like the rolling things. So every single year, this year, USC holds it. Next year, UCLA holds that. So we actually gathered all the students from the city, the Chinese students. And once they participated in the show, like, we need a lot of funding, though, not only from the, 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 the theater, but also the food, like the, the gift bag, everything. So we have to prepare that like six months per year. It's a long journey. And they need a lot of help, so, or and the supports too. Yeah.
0: So just one more of the, the sort of problem issues that we would probably I want to identify is uh, it's 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 something that I think there's some basis for. Perhaps I don't know. Uh, don't know the statistics uh, about academic integrity mm-hmm. about the, the problem of cheating. There's this widespread belief. I have no idea how, how true it is that you know Chinese students are are disproportionately. Uh, apt to, to be caught for, for cheating and things like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. plagiarism on papers and things like that uh, is this a, a, a problem that you've seen at USC or that uh, CSSA would be in any way involved in
1: I mean, like uh, the school, they have the committees uh, for the integrities. So like uh, all the stu- student representatives will be selected among the whole like student government, right. the USG and then the university student government. So like all the different uh, for us, like the student organization, we never have the power to get involved into the, the board of that, uh, the integrities like the, the, the board. and. Uh, the thing is that although like, some of the students might have the problem with that, but I feel like it's just like uh, still like the difference maybe in the culture. So in China, like I mean like when the students like uh, all the way like they learn things like especially learn the math because we actually for, for the, like for the steam like uh, I read like uh, science like all the fields. Sure. The class like in China, they can support the open work. So like, we have the huge like, long questions, the list. we have like, too, too many questions. So every single day we probably need to do the homework for two to three hours, and the teacher can encourage you to work together, because it's too much workload, it, the way like, you cannot probably finish by yourself. So and, until you here, like, the students like, they know how bad the, pre, uh, the, the cheating like, will go, and they, they definitely did not do that on in attention, like in intention, though they know the, the the result, they know the the risk. So, like yeah, I mean, just because that's the how that's how they actually study, or that's how they grow up with the environment. It is hard to require them to change within one night.
0: Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Let's let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, your experiences in entrepreneurship and some of your ideas about entrepreneurship. Uh, in your talk earlier today, you you raised the the idea that in this current political climate of suspicion, mutual suspicion, especially suspicion of Chinese technology companies from the United States. You cited the case of Huawei and their inability to close a deal with at and to have their phones distributed. Even Best Buy is not going to be distributing uh, Huawei, yeah. Huawei phones anymore. There's all, you know, a, a lot of things. You mentioned Alibaba, for example, and how they haven't you know, made, made a large R&D center here. I know the company I used to work for has a fairly substantial R&D center here. Is this something that we... Uh, that is trickling down to college students right now. Are they worried about their prospects for being able to stay in the U.S. and to work for maybe Chinese companies that are, that are based here?
1: Yes, I mean, they are kind of worried. And speaking of uh, the environment right now in the U.S., like for, the, for Huawei, I know that uh, they have the researchers, like the, the Huawei schools in Britain.
0: Sure. And Britain, the yeah.
1: students are like, uh, after they graduate from college, They will get into the Huawei department, the Huawei office in in UK, like in London. They have a lot of opportunities because the governments down there are really open towards the Chinese uh, companies. So the students are really like have more, much more opportunities compared to study here right nowadays. And you see like all the governments, their reactions, like not only necessarily like affect the students directly, but will create huge panic among them. And I feel like this panic will really like take the our process, like from Obama presidency, our friendship will take back by at least two years or more.
0: Finally, I mean, before we, we uh, move on, let's let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on the entrepreneurial ecosystem in China and what you think Chinese students who have entrepreneurial urges should be doing. Should they? bother at all right now to come to study in the U.S. when right now the premium that a highway a returnee, used to command on the job market back home is no longer what it used to be? Yeah. Uh, should they just stay in China? Uh, should they come here? And if they do, should they work in Silicon Valley for a few years before thinking about starting a company? You didn't. Yes. Uh-huh.
1: I mean, it's the, the environment is really different. So right. we feel like for, for U.S., that on, among the tech side, like in Silicon Valley, it's definitely more developed. But in China, since we have huge population and uh, the so the the circumstances like for using the technology is much like higher. The possibilities for using the applications right. are much higher compared to the U.S. So in China, if you like go to, it, it, especially we have the cheap labors for like delivery all the things for like the the outdoor services. Right, right, uh, so, right. yeah, so the whole industry is more developed compared to the U.S. And if, you, for example, if you are in the China, if you order food like uh, for delivery, it's even cheaper than you go to the restaurant to eat by yourself. Right, right. So the whole dynamic, the whole environment makes like there's like a more opportunity for the students to start up in China. But the problem is that, like, all over the among the tech side, we are not that developed, though. So, like, all the students, if they want to get here, learn, and try to, like, see the further pictures of how the, the, the entrepreneurship, like, goes, the, the, the history of the US, like, tech startups, how, how they grow up, they should definitely come and they should learn the experience. And uh, once they have the experience, they can work from there. And if they really want to, like, focus on the service or commercial goods, they could just stay in China I mean like there's probably like much more like opportunities in that way
0: well Tony thanks so much for sharing your insights in this I think that's it's, it's really terrific um, before we let you go let's make a couple of recommendations for our listeners and before we do that I do want to remind our listeners that the Syndicate podcast is powered by SubChina. sign up for our free daily email newsletter or better yet join our SubChina access program for early ad free versions of this and other podcasts for for bonus weekly roundup letters, uh, newsletters every Friday, and for access to our Slack channel, where you can talk to our editorial team and to guests that we bring on for special chat sessions. And don't forget to leave us a positive review on the iTunes store. Thanks. And now, on to recommendations. Tony, what do you have for us by way of a recommendation?
1: I mean, the first and the most important thing is that no matter you're the Chinese students or you're American students, you have to really pick the thing you like most. That's and a good recommendation. Yeah. yeah, do that for your whole life. Because uh, in Harvard, like, we actually have a theory that every single year, 25% of the students will just get rid of their current job, not because they don't think the job is prospecting or the job like, has a lot of like bright future, but because they don't have the passion anymore, they don't have the energy anymore. So they start to quit. And that lead to really, really, the opportunity cost for them are really high. Since they've been studying, preparing to enter this industry for at least four or six years, undergrad plus grad school together. And eventually one day they realize that they don't like this industry. Then that really raises up the questions. And once they're at that moment, they're like probably around 26 years old. It is really hard for them to pivot so, really, nowadays at this age, we should really just focus on doing the things we like most. And Jack Ma, the chairman of Alibaba, seen one thing I found is really, really useful and I want to share with you guys. Jack Ma told us that before you're 30, you just have to try a lot, eventually, find the things you like most. Before you're 40, you'll find the industries you want to go and go with a great leader to learn the management skills, to become the true leaders. And before you're 50, you have to get out to become an entrepreneur and do the things you like most, even for the life. And after you're 60 years old, just spend the time in the beach and enjoy the life. Sounds Seriously, like <laughs> I think that's, that's really important. So at this age, we have to find the things we're the mo- most passionate with and enjoy the life because times will never go back. And I'm kind of regret, too, that I don't spend a lot of time partying with my friends in the college, though. It's this, not too late. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> is the thing I worry most. <laughs> and uh, one more thing, so really quick. And uh, for... I know, like, a lot of people were, like, uh, questioning the relationships between the two countries, China and the U.S. I feel like, overall, like, uh, just... We have to believe that the world is getting flatter. So, like... Uh, all the things, like, all the relations will eventually become, like, more and more open towards each other. Because right now, if you see the trend, like, all the, like, uh, trades between different countries, if we don't keep the doors open, then the other country will work together. And eventually, like, uh, the one who left the door closed will will lose all the opportunities. If you take from the history, take the standpoint, look back to China. Like the government worked so hard to keep the doors open because they know what's the result of keeping the doors closed. They learned from the history. And right now we have to really keep the belief that we really like the future will be, become much more like flatted, and like all the opportunities will be shared among all the groups of people. Yeah.
0: Well you're twenty three, so you're forgiven for quoting both Thomas Friedman and Jack Ma in your recommendation. So uh, you don't get away for that for much longer. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, and it's hard to follow up on like a big sort of life and, and, and global kind of recommendation like that with just a recommendation of a podcast. But I really do want to recommend this podcast by uh, the, the U- University of Pennsylvania, the UPenn uh, Center for Contemporary China. It's an excellent podcast. It's quite new. It's hosted by a guy named Nason Mabubi, who teaches law at UPenn. Uh, in particular, the most recent episode as of time of recording is a, an interview, an hour-long interview, with Damien Ma of the Paulson Institute. It's one of the best primers I've ever heard on the Chinese political economy. Uh, it is full of gems of insight, and it's really quite mind-bogglingly brilliant. So I, I highly recommend that you, you give that a listen. Uh, so, yeah, that's my recommendation. Tony uh, Gao Yutong, thank you so much for coming once again. And let's give it up for him. Uh, all right. And and for the, for the very, very good people at the Princeton U.S.-China Coalition, uh, for Jocelyn Ruckford and for Natalie Nagorski and for all the other people who, who invited us here, right? Yeah, let's hear it for N- Natalie and Jocelyn. Thank It's a terrific event. I, I hope uh, to be invited back one of these uh, one of these years. So uh, the sinica, um, thank thank you once again. Thanks. Uh, the Seneca podcast is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Gua and Jeremy Goldcorn. Thanks to Jocelyn and Natalie again, for, and the, all the other forum organizers for having me here. Uh, drop us an email at sinica at subchina dot com. Follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at at SubChina News. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, the Tsing Sinica Business Brief, and the ggb Nine Nine Six podcast, which comes out every other week uncovers tech and investing in China. We co produce with the Venture Capital Outfit GTV. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Take care.